Era Podcast. Research matters. Over the last few weeks and months, the COVID-19 pandemic has transformed the way we live, work, research, teach and learn. This series explores the impact of the pandemic on our members and on the field of educational research. Welcome everyone. Uh, my name is Susanna Obrolter. I am the SIG convener for England for teacher education and we are exploring the impact of COVID-19 and also the considerations we need to make post-lockdown for all sorts of education contexts. And I have Dr Deborah Outwhite here today. Uh, she is leading a teaching school and I'm going to ask Deb to introduce herself without further ado and tell us more about her role in the teaching school. Hello Lizana. so my name is Dr Deb Auswaite, I've been the director of Derby Teaching Schools Alliance for the last two years and we were set up back in 2013 in the third iteration of teaching schools but since 2017 we've been a charitable incorporated organization so we have a separate board we're not run by a school we're based in a school a big secondary school but we work across lots of schools and we work across lots of areas so we're based in Derby City but we work in Derbyshire um, but for our a range of different contracts we work right the way across the East Midlands so we've got quite an unusual sort of setup really. You've got quite no, a wide fine. reach, don't you, and, and a massive remit from what I'm hearing. Yeah, so we do school-to-school support, so sort of standard school-to-school support, school improvement with the DfE. So we've got three national leaders of education, three national leaders of governance, around 70 specialist leaders of education. We run networks, primary networks, in pretty much every subject area. But we run for STEM Learning UK, the Science Learning Partnership, not just for Derbyshire, but also for Nottinghamshire. We run the Derby and Derbyshire Governance Partnership, and we run School Direct Primary and Secondary with the University of Derby um, and train more than 30 teachers every year. Fantastic. And so with all that in mind... What what were the challenges you had to face as a teaching school during the lockdown? Yeah, so our, our main challenges, of course, were how we best supported our current cohort of trainees who were very worried. A lot of our primary trainees this year were parents themselves. And of course, they didn't have critical worker status. So instantly they were at home with their student, with their children and worrying about their lack of being in schools and whether or not they were going to get qualified and I think you remember Lizana Mm -hmm. how long it felt before the DfE guidance came out to say it was okay they didn't have to go back into schools they didn't have original bubbles but there was a lot of anxiety with students who didn't really know what the circumstances was so we had to provide them with a lot of support and their mentors with a lot of support university link tutors you know and, and, yes. and all that as a sort of cascade really to just make sure that we were there and then when the DfE guidelines were published just getting them out to people really quickly so that everybody knew and knew what the situation was to positively move forward. Absolutely and I think um, I mean just me with my university hat on as well um, I had to do a lot of online conversations with students on a daily basis so I, I presume that was very similar for you as well. 
Yes, yeah, so we supported them in a range of ways. So with our school direct contract from the university, we used their Blackboard Collaborate classroom that they set up for us. So we were given a link to that very quickly nice. from our university. But we did Zoom meetings separately. We used WhatsApp and we utilised all of our kind of local contacts, people who normally help us and we normally show TEDx videos, for example, Richard Gerber, mm -hmm. um, you know, was ahead in Derbyshire and talks to our cohort, but he normally talks through a, a TED talk um, and he was around. He was in lockdown. He couldn't travel. So he did a live session with our primary wow. trainees. So just <laughs> using and utilising the support that we've got locally to yeah. make it good positive experience for them so they could carry yeah. on training, but carry on training in lockdown. So with the challenge, you had some wonderful opportunities as well, from what I'm hearing. And so moving into then the post-lockdown phase, um, starting September, what strategic considerations do you now have to make sure you help these, these lovely students to, to make a flying start next year? Yeah, and I think next year we've also recruited a really strong cohort. You know, it's, a, it's an ironic thing, isn't it, when the economy downturns, number of people who suddenly think oh actually I've wanted to teach I've thought about teaching but I've never quite got round to doing it we've had lots of people kind of come out of the woodwork and say do you know what I think now is the right time for me to teach so I think there are lots of opportunities for this year coming we've got um, about a third of our secondary cohort have got firsts and a third of them have already got masters you know we're recruiting some really right. strong strong people into teaching I think the good thing is that change in DfE regulation so they're critical workers so mm -hmm. even the mums that we've recruited this time will know that their children if we're locked down again their children will qualify for bubble support so that they can still be in schools and I think this year our trainees wanted to carry on helping they didn't want to be at home you know they wanted to be that teacher on the front line doing the support so I think that's that's really good but that comes with it a whole duty of care um, and we've had lots of meetings about that, about how we make sure we support our students through that very effectively. Um, and we're following the lead of our university. So from our hub days and everything that can be online, it will be online until at least January. We'll revisit that in January. Absolutely. And I think um, I've heard along the lines um, that there are also considerations in terms of online placements being considered by some universities and so on. Were those things that came about as well? Did you have a think about possible placements online? We talked about how we could allocate people to their school and how they could be part of the school community if they weren't going to get right. critical worker status as opposed to actually online placements we've definitely got trainees who are interested in helping with online provision um, and we've we've got one of our own members of staff who's been contributing a lot to oak academy resources so there's lots of things that we've been doing with with that agenda that people have been quite interested in um, but i think placements we've recruited trainees who want to teach they want to be in the classroom they want to learn mm -hmm. how to be effective classroom practitioners so I think whereas we would normally offer quite a wide ranging PGCE where we'd like people to have experience of, you know, at least their substantive and their secondary placement. But in our we have education placement options and we have two weeks of EPOs where we encourage them to go to two different places if they can. So by the end of their PGCE, they've experienced four different environments, even if only two of them are for two are for a week each at a time. 
whereas now, of course, the guidelines being that they only have to train in one institution, I think that is a big relief because you can assign them yes. to one school and you can know that if they don't get to another school, they will still qualify. And I think that's a, that's a particularly important factor for us. It makes a huge difference, I think, and especially in, in terms of the anxiety and worries for both yeah. schools, pl- placement officers as well as students. Now, um, earlier on in the conversation, you mentioned you had to support mentors in schools a lot as well. And I was wondering if you could tell us a bit more about that and also how are you reimagining that support moving forward post-lockdown as well? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I worry about mentoring. It's something I've spent quite a lot of time thinking about this year. I think with the Early Career Framework, we're a, an early rollout hub for the Early Career Framework at DTSA for Derby City. Um, and I, I worry about the number of mentors. You know, mentoring is quite a big role in addition to a full-time teaching role for people in schools who do it. At the moment, we just about have enough mentors to do it for the PGCE in the way that it's set up and for the NQTs. And of course, as you well know, Lizana, we're moving to a three-year time period for that. That's right. And we're not recruiting many more mentors or we're not having that conversation I don't think widely enough in schools mm. at least we weren't before lockdown about how we recruit more mentors and how important it is I, I think I'd get quite radical about this I, I would like to see every school having trainees I'd like to get schools who don't have trainees not to have outstanding outstanding ratings I think it's really important that every school plays its part I perfectly well understand working in the city that I work in that those schools that have lots of difficulties are not necessarily in a position to have trainees and and staff being mentors but I think we have to do our utmost to facilitate people in schools to become mentors and play their part in developing the next generation of teachers and to play a part in helping to keep people in the classroom um, I think it's really important. Absolutely. And, and as you know, um, when you do mentor, you are encouraging people to reflect more, and including yourself. And, and ultimately, that will hopefully then impact positively on the children as well. Yeah. So it's a really great vehicle for school improvement as well. So it helps everyone. Yeah. And through our individual mentors this time, through the mentoring role that they had, we we were doing lots of support about trying to reduce the pressure that was on them to acknowledge that they were doing the same role. They were perhaps doing it over the phone or, or via Zoom rather than doing it face to face. We still paid out the same payments to our mentors as, as we would have done if schools had been open. You know, And I think it's really important when we support schools as training providers, as we do, mm-hmm. as, that we that we use you know all the different elements and mechanisms that we've got in our control to support those staff in exactly the same way we're supporting our trainees and i think the charter college of teaching have done a lot to do with that i think there's a, a lot more out there now to support people in the early part of their career and people in mentoring roles and i think that's a that's a good thing absolutely and i think there's also a wonderful resource bank where um, colleagues can gain some insights into what to do next as well on the Charter College's website. So it's well worth taking a look. I completely agree. And so um, you've mentioned that you are one of the schools or one of the teaching schools rolling out the Early Careers Framework early on. Um, I know that teaching schools are also faced with a lot of changes this year, um, especially 2020, 2021. Um, I was wondering if you want to just touch on that a little. And just tell us a bit more about your thinking and how you're hoping to move forward. 
Yeah, I think it's a really interesting thing. I mean, obviously, we have teaching schools moving from 900 to 87 um, over the course of the academic year, and lots of people will be competitively applying for super hub status. Super hubs, uh, you know, clearly are a vehicle for changing the way in which we do school improvement, but they're also going to be the vehicle for the early career framework and for rolling that out nationally so people who are interested in teacher education as we are need to be aware of, of what those changes are but what the super hubs are also doing is kind of creating different areas of super hub that are tying in with that so for example in running our science learning partnership for Derbyshire and Nottinghamshire we've got a bigger area so you find that you have to come up with different ways of managing the KPIs so we mm-hmm. did over 1100 hours of mandated CPD so 251 teachers so more than 200 days worth um, in April, May, June and July and and we did more than that um, that we funded as a teaching school and I think a lot of people haven't really been clear about what the role of teaching schools has been or why and what roles they're actually playing And I am worried that a lot of that and some of the expertise of some of the staff in them is going to get lost, at least for a bit, in the whole sort of shaking out of the system that's going to happen in the next year or so. It's almost the same um, when we moved into the 2010 regime from where we were in 2009, when we had training schools, then moving into teaching schools. And and again, we are now condensing that again. And and you're right, we are at risk of of losing some... um, institutional memory and expertise and, and and it's often a shame and in a way it's also thinking or reimagining how can we capture that and, and, and also make the most of that yeah no no absolutely and that that has some opportunities but it also you know when you read that, that annex during that last forty thousand that the teaching schools are being given can spent be spent on redundancy we have made one of our team of five redundant in the last couple of weeks you know so you're also watching those whole changes roll out and that, and when you're leading it that's obviously not necessarily a position that you want to do because you're aware of some of the good things that you're, you're doing as an organization Absolutely. And then again, with, with those good things in mind, I'm just going to come back to um, your, your support for your uh, current cohort of teacher trainees, um, seeing that you are rolling out the early careers framework as well. Um, how are you reimagining then the support for those NQTs who had perhaps a, a slight gap in their, their, their engagement with their course? Um, how are they being supported moving into then their new teaching roles? Yeah, so in a range of different ways, actually. So we've got the early rollout that I mentioned. So we've got that blended support package in place for them. That obviously includes all of ours who've got NQT roles in Derby and Derbyshire. Uh, We're still running our own NQT programme that we've run for years, but we've tweaked the content of that to make sure it provides maximum support. But we also still keeping in touch with them. So we have WhatsApp groups to keep in touch with them. I've been doing additional sessions for the students who haven't got permanent roles, because the other thing we haven't touched on is quite how much this has changed the landscape. So in the run up to Easter Mm -hmm. and the run up to May half term, when you'd expect those posts, yes, posts were still advertised. Yes, people were recruited in lockdown but not quite in the same way that they are normally and I know lots of schools have frozen posts because they weren't in a position to do them so we're still giving some support to a couple of our NQTs who haven't got permanent roles as well 
um, and, and also trying to teach the NQTs about the landscape and about the change that's coming in the landscape. So I think my um, PGCEs this year were much more aware of the other roles that I have in the system. So I'm a vice chair of trustees in a multi-academy trust. And because I was saying, well, you know, this Matt are currently considering this, this Matt are currently considering this, they were much more aware of the landscape that they were going into. Um, and not necessarily the fractured nature of the landscape that they were going into, but the, the what it means. So looking yes. at a school that's in a multi-academy trust as opposed to looking at a school that's in a local authority and thinking, is that school likely to academise soon? So being aware of, of that whole whole area, really. Much more aware than the previous year's PGCs, I think, for, for all those reasons. Yeah. So, so in other words, they, they've just developed in a different way becoming more aware of the, the sort of changing landscape and, and how they need to also think more flexibly around that um, whereas they will now go and consolidate more the sort of teaching practice within the classroom moving forward as they as they carry on with their teaching. Yes and I think some of them feel nervous about that because they didn't have mm. the same number of hours as previous students but they've done huge amounts of work and I mean the online work that we provided for them uh, and we got from several different sources for them really has put them in, in a you know in a good place despite their you know disquiet it is about it's like learning to drive isn't it you know you've actually got to physically it is, experience yeah. it and they, they they're worried about that but I know they will be absolutely fine Absolutely. And I think also that um, they're very lucky that they step into teams where people are very supportive and they have a clear sense of what's happened and that they will continue to help them to progress and move on. Yeah, I, I thought it was interesting. A lot of our local schools did induction with them where they included the incoming NQTs in their inset days that were at the end of term and, and some of the big secondaries actually held those physically you know they all had social distancing but mm -hmm. they physically held those in big theatres and assembly rooms and things um, and I think that was that was really good because I think that, that the NQTs have met their teams and, and that's gone yeah. some, some way to allay some of their concerns. Absolutely. It will give them a sense of security and a, a sense of where they're going and, and, and knowing who to speak to. It's always important on the first day to know who to ask. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And to just remember that we're still we're still there for them. You know, they've become absolutely. part of their university alumni. We're in that landscape. We can still continue to provide them with support. Yeah, absolutely. It's a big community of learning. And I think that's the strength of, of, of teacher education um, in the UK and in England in particular. Um, and I was wondering, is there anything else that you feel you would like to share with listeners in, in regards to your role, the current landscape, the current situation? But just be interesting to, to get some uh, snippets from you in terms of what we can reflect on. I think my area of interest kind of shifted through it really because I've always been very concerned about our PGCE experience and to make sure they have a good training year but I think I felt through my own trustee role that for people who didn't know much about the education system and the way in which the landscape works that there is really work that our governance partnership mm. can do supporting the role of governors and trustees and I, I really felt that there were gaps in people's knowledge about 
at not just how schools shut down, but particularly that whole kind of debacle over May half term when we were talking about how schools were going to open back up again and how variable based on size and scale and location of school that was. You know, I, literally around here, we've got some very rural schools, but we're on the edge of some quite big cities. So we saw some parents only a few miles apart having very different experiences for children in reception in year one and, and year six very different experiences of course there's some not going to school at all and, and some being straight back at school straight after half term for the whole That's six right. weeks and i think there was a lack of understanding about the sort of the different types and sizes and circumstances of schools um that we could all do with communicating better really Absolutely. And I think um, we've explored a little bit of that in, in one of the Baumas events where you kindly spoke to colleagues about these these nuances and challenges. And I, I'm a trustee as well. And I just know that I had to become an expert in risk assessment and yep. reading through reams and reams of paper, trying to make sense of what to do next. Um, it was a real challenge and I, I cannot agree more. And so in, in Derbyshire, are you doing something specific to support governors and um, trustees with that in mind? Or is that something that you're still thinking through? So we run regular sessions for governors and for trustees and we run bespoke sessions for governing bodies and map boards. Um, but it's certainly something we're going to be looking at in the autumn term to see if we can provide anything more kind of generic, I think, for, for, for the East Midlands, for people who feel that they perhaps need to know and understand a bit more about the way in which the landscape works. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of that with us. Um, it's been a real insightful conversation to look at the full range of things you do, but also how you're very specifically focused on teacher education and helping trainees and inquities to, to develop and grow and continue to grow moving on. So really, thank you so much, Deb, for joining us. Very welcome, Lizana. We all know that that's the really important bit out of everything that we do. And I think I think that's it's, it's an important thing for us to focus on right now. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to the Bureau podcast. For the latest news on Bureau events and activities, visit www.bureau.ac.uk.